Amen. All right, you got your Bibles. We got a little time today, so let's get cracking. Amen. Stand with me. Let's read together. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, starting at verse number 7 today and reading down through verse number 10. So just three verses of Scripture for our text today. Um, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, starting at verse number 7. It's on page 890 in my Bible. Might be different in yours. But let's read together. To keep me from becoming conceited because of these surpassingly great revelations, there was given me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take away from me, take it away from me, but he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, and in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong." Father, thanks for your word today. Thank you for giving us an opportunity to think again on your incredible grace. Would you just have your way right now for these next few moments and minutes that we have together? In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. For the last six weeks, and this is the sixth message in the series, um, Way, Truth, and Life, we've been, our theme verse for this series, we've been starting the messages off, reminding ourselves what Jesus said. He said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. And we've been talking about what does it mean that he is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And we've discovered in this series, and I'll just review with you quickly today, that discipleship is a journey of grace. That discipleship, and this has been a discipleship series. Discipleship is a, what is a disciple? A disciple is a follower of Christ, somebody who is a learner, who is walking with the Lord. And discipleship is a journey of grace. In other words, it is grace that starts you on that grace, on that journey. It is grace that keeps you on that journey. And it's grace that helps you fulfill that journey. It's from grace to grace to grace to grace. And this grace that we've been talking about is the unmerited, unearned love of God that is poured out into our lives. Grace is really not a force. It's not a it. It's a person. Grace is Jesus. And that's why when Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, the life, he was describing that to to know the Father, to follow God, to be a Christian was to follow him, that he would be the way. And so grace is personified over the course of our lives in so many different ways. And, and if for those of you who are new in the house, I'd encourage you to go back and listen to all six messages because I can't preach them all today. I don't have enough time. All right? But let me re- review what those six graces are. First of all, it is seeking grace. It is the grace of God that goes before us. 
It is the grace of God that seeks us out. No one gets up one day and says, I think I'll find God today. Like we have the power to come to know God. God reaches us before we reach him. He reaches out to us. He brings us to the place where we realize we need him. He is a seeking God. He is seeking after you. And we called that, for those, a technical term was prevenient grace. And then there is saving grace. It's the grace of God that forgives you of all your sins and starts the process of transformation in your life. It's not a destination, but it's a, it's, a, it's a lifelong journey where you enter into this personal relationship with Almighty God through Jesus Christ, and he saves you of your sins. Maybe you're here today, and you've never been saved. You've never been forgiven of your sins. You've never said to God, I am a sinner, and I need you to forgive me of my sins. And when you confess your sins, he says, I am faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. You start a journey with the Lord that he begins to forgive you of all that you have done in your life and start the transformation process. And then there is the sanctifying grace. This is the grace that as you begin to walk with the Lord, you come to the place where you realize, I don't just need to be forgiven. I need to be set free from the power of sin. I need to be set free from this, from this tyranny of myself controlling me. I need to come to the place where he sets me free from that by his cleansing power through the Holy Spirit. He cleanses us and changes our motives, our want-tos, begin to change from pleasing me to pleasing God. And then last week we talked about sustaining grace. That is the grace of God that comes alongside of us and that sustains us daily as we begin to become more and more like Jesus, as we participate in the forms and means of grace like worship, prayer, Bible study, small group, um, serving. All of these practices are means of grace that God sustains us and grows us to be the kind of person. If you haven't figured it out, it's all because of God's amazing grace. Grace upon grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. And God wants to do his work in you through his grace. I was driving in the church this morning, and I had my Starbucks coffee with me, and I said, Lord, I'm so grateful for a good old-fashioned cup of hot coffee in the morning. But Lord, more than that, I'm glad that your grace meets me every single day. He comes, and he meets us right where we are. Right where we are. Last week, I told you about the 747. That, that to live the Christian life is really like a 747 consuming jet fuel. You know, you are just consuming grace all day long. All day long, you're like, God, I need you. God, I need you. God, I need you. God, I need you. God, I can't do this without you. God, I can't move without you. I can't live without you. I can't love without you. I need your grace, oh Lord. And his grace is poured out upon us. It's the life of a Christian is not you doing it. It's God doing it through you. And that is the, the life of a Christian. A 747 burns 10 to 11 tons of fuel an hour. Could I just tell you? I, I probably burn 20 tons of grace an hour. Okay? 
because I need all the grace I can get. And guess what? There's an unlimited source of it. You'll never come to the place where there won't be enough because God's grace is there for you. And that's the grace of God that he gives to us. But even with all this grace and this good news of him being able to save us from our sins, cleanse us from our sins, sustain us in life, could I just tell you, still, life isn't always easy. Life isn't always, you know, a bed of roses. And so the question is, what happens when life is still hard? What happens when all you receive all of this amazing grace that we've been talking about, which is really positive, what happens when you've been saved and you're forgiven of your sins, when your heart has been radically cleansed and, and nurtured, and when you're walking with the Lord day by day and su- living in his, his sustaining grace every day? What happens when life is still hard? I tell you what you need. You need his sufficient grace that is there for you all the time. And the Apostle Paul teaches us about that in our scripture this morning. First of all, Paul says to us in in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, it says this. Would you read it out loud on the screen with me? Uh, This is a little fuzzy here, so look up there. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we are all alive, are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that his life may be revealed in our mortal body. So then death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. You'll notice that the scripture says here that that we have a treasure in jars of clay. In other words, our bodies are decaying. They are getting older. We are living in a fallen world. We are living with a body that does does not get better. It actually gets worse the older we get. Have you looked in the mirror lately? You know? Have you determined that? I was looking at Seth Tolleson this morning up here on stage, and he has this wonderful, beautiful hair, you know, that just feathers a back. And I said, I looked exactly like Seth when I was 18 years old. What happened to me, Seth? I'm not really sure, you know. But it seems to go away. It seems to change colors. And our bodies begin to wrinkle, and they begin to get old. They get sick, and they decay. And we go through all the trials and tribulations of life, Life is hard. Notice he says, hard pressed on every side. We are sometimes under pressure. We go through trials and tribulations. We go through sicknesses. We go through the ups and downs of, of, uh, of, our, of our economic um, upturns and downturns. We are struck down. We are carried out. All of us go through that. Yet how do we live by grace in the middle of those types of things? Paul tells us that we have this treasure in jars of clay, in, in, a, in a temporary vessel that is there with us. He even goes on to describe his own personal experience for us. If you look in chapter 11 of 2 Corinthians, right before the scripture text of today, he says this, I have labored and toiled and often gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst and have after, ha, often gone without food. 
I've been cold and naked. And besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Who is weak, and I do not feel weak. Who is led into sin, and I do not inwardly burn. And so Paul describes his own personal experience. And it's, it's similar to your personal experience. There are times in life where you may not be hunger or thirsty or naked, but you are under distress. You are under, you are under persecution. You are, you are suffering. And Paul went through that in so many ways. Actually, he even describes there in chapter 11, he says this, I have, I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one. You know what that is? You remember Jesus when they whipped him and they beat him so badly that he was dragged through the streets and his back was worn? Paul says it happened to him five times. And they said 30, 40 minus one because they believed when you got the 40th one, it killed you. So they just brought you right to the edge of death. He says, three times I was beaten with a rod. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger of rivers, danger of bandits, in danger of my own countrymen, in danger from Gentiles. Can you catch the point? He's in danger. I mean, he's got danger all around him. Yet, he was a man who was sustained and found the grace of God sufficient. Paul was a man who understood the grace of God in hard times. So I want to say to you, though, my brothers and sisters in Christ who are walking by grace, grace doesn't mean that everything magically goes away and everything's perfect. Grace doesn't mean that, you know, all of the struggles that you face in life are all of a sudden just magically wiped away like your sins are wiped away. You still live in a fallen world and a fallen body. And you still live with great temptations and you still live in a world where evil is reigning even though we know that Christ has come and his kingdom is here. In the middle of all that, God says, I want you to know I'm with you. I'm with you, and it's going to be okay. And so Paul then goes on to describe what I find is the most wonderful teaching about this grace of God, this sufficient, because Paul testifies to receiving sufficient grace. Sufficient grace. It's here in the context of Paul's own journey that he describes when God says to him, my grace is sufficient for you. My grace is sufficient. He describes it in four ways, and I want you to see this in the scripture. First of all, he says, there's a thorn in his flesh. There's a thorn in his flesh. He says, to keep me from becoming conceited because, because of these surpassingly great revelations, and we didn't really have time to look at this this morning, but the first six verses of chapter 12, Paul describes this incredible spiritual experience that he had, where he saw visions of God's marvelous revelations. And he doesn't give much details about those revelations, but he talked about how wonderful an experience of it is. 
And I think sometimes in our own journey with the Lord, we understand what it means to be saved. We understand what it means to be sanctified. We understand how God sustains us and grows us to become more and more like him. And we could all boast about our wonderful spiritual experiences that we have and say, oh, look at me, I'm saved. And look at me, I'm sanctified and, and kind of do that. But he says, you know, to keep me from becoming conceited. In other words, keep me from becoming thinking that I am better than somebody else. God has given him this thorn in his flesh, a messenger from Satan. Now, a lot of people have wondered what that thorn is. What I find interesting in the scripture is that Paul doesn't tell us what it is. You know, he doesn't describe the thorn to us. But there have been many who have speculated about that thorn and have come to conclusions. For example, let me give you some, of the, some people who have said things about these thorns. John Calvin believed that Paul's thorn was temptation. Anybody have any temptations these days? Anybody have any temptations that come around on a frequent basis and it's the same ones? Anybody been there? Everybody been to the place where you say, God, I really don't want this temptation anymore. And you pray that the temptation will go away, yet it still comes back. You know? That would be a thorn in your flesh. How about Martin Luther? He believed that the thorn was persecution. Well, we just heard him say how much danger he was in, how he was persecuted by so many different people along the way. So maybe Paul was constantly under persecution, and that was his thorn. Other scholars believed that it was sexual temptation. Others believed it was a physical appearance. Maybe he didn't like the way he looked. Maybe he had a hunch. Maybe he had a limp. Maybe he couldn't see out of one eye. Maybe he had something that was a, that was a birth defect. Maybe he had mental illness where he suffered from depression or he suffered from schizophrenia. I mean, we don't really know what the thorn is. You could go on and on speculating about that and still not come up. I don't think it matters much. What really matters is that you might have your own thorn in your flesh. You might have your own demons. You might have your own struggles. You might have your own things that you deal with. And it's not a matter of you not believing in God. And it's not a matter of that you're not saved or sanctified or filled with the Holy Spirit. It's just something that you are living with daily. And you're probably going to live with it until the day you die. That's the thorn in the flesh. And Paul says that. But notice what also he says about this thorn. He said that this thorn was attached with a message. Was attached with a message. It would be like an email with an attachment to it. You know, it would be like a, a, an attachment that's given to you. And he says there, a messenger, he calls the torment, a messenger from Satan to torment me. Because really what the, what the thorn does to us most of all is it feeds into our, into our minds about a picture of who we are or it is used to torment us or lead us away from God or to begin to make us feel bad about ourselves. I remember my sister. She was a, she was a young girl 
She never dated anybody. Nobody ever asked her on a date. She, nobody, ever, nobody ever said to her that she was beautiful. Um, she always longed to be loved. And she was year after year after year, she was single, 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 single. And she was like, what's wrong with me? Am I not pretty? Am I not beautiful? Am I not worthy to be loved? And the messages she got because of her singleness was that she wasn't good enough or pretty enough. And that was not a message from God. That was a message from Satan. And so many times our thorns are connected with a message. And the devil will take those thorns in your life and he will give you messages that torment you. It's not, the, it's, not the tor it's not the thorn that torments you. It's the message that torments you. And so it's so important that when you go through difficult times in your life and you go through trials and tribulations or, or whatever the torment might be, that you identify the wrong messages and believe the right messages. Find your hope in the Lord. And that's really important. Notice also that Paul pleads for relief. And I do think it's appropriate for you to do that. Whatever your, whatever your thorn is, whatever you identify as your personal thorn, there's nothing wrong with taking that thorn to the Lord and saying, God, take it away. Okay? Nothing wrong with that. All right? Nothing wrong with saying, Lord, I need relief from this. And Paul, what did he do? It Scripture says, three times I pleaded with the Lord. Now, we don't know if that was three consecutive times within a few minutes or if that was within years. We don't know if he gave little relief after each and every one of them, but they came back. We don't know what happens here. But the Scripture says, I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. Have you ever prayed for something and the answer didn't come back the way you wanted it? Have you ever prayed for relief? Have you ever pleaded with God for healing to set you free from something? And for whatever reason, by the sovereignty of God Almighty, he really says, no, I'm not going to take it away from you. I'm not going to do that because I know better. I know better than you, and I know better than about your future, and I know more about what's going on than you do. I want you to trust me. I want you to trust me. I want you to trust me. And he responds, and God responds to this plea with probably some of the most amazing words in Scripture. God answers his prayer, but he says to him, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Notice that he says, my grace and my power. You see, grace and power go together. It is God's grace that gives you power to live. It's God's grace that helps you to go through trials and troubles. It's God's grace that comes alongside of you when, you when you don't know what else to do but just depend upon his very presence and power when things aren't going the way you want them to go. He said, my grace is sufficient for you. 
And it's interesting because the Greek word for physician here is, is archaea, which, which implies endurance, strength, and satisfaction. I'm going to give you the endurance to go through life with, with, this, with this thorn. I'm going to give you the power and the endurance to, to go through this daily struggle of walking with God. I have a good friend of mine who has MS. My sister Pat has MS. And it's a disease that really attacks the whole body and all the muscular system. And he's lived with it for years and years. And there are some days he can't even get out of bed. There's other days he's, he needs a, lots of help just to get dressed. But God has sustained him day after day after day after day. Here's what I've learned about God's sufficient grace. He gives you enough grace for today. And then you've got to go back and ask for it the next day. And the next day and the next day. It's not something that you can just say, all right, I'll take your sufficient grace, and then you can leave God. God wants you to depend upon him for his strength, for his love, and for his mercy. The word translated as perfect, my power is made perfect in weakness here, is telitia, which mostly refers to completion or accomplishment. The focus is on something being achieved, not having flaws removed. In other words, God is going to use your weakness to make you stronger in him. He's going to use your thorn, which he's not going to take away from you. He's going to, he's going to, he's going to continuously say when you plead to him, Please take it away. He's going to say, no, but my grace is sufficient in your weakness to make you stronger so that you can live a life that's pleasing to him and full of victory in your life. My good friend, um, Mr. Anderson is here. Good to see you today, you know, and uh, he's all the way from Maryland, and um, um, reminds me of a family in my last church that lost their son at 15 years old through terrible cancer of his blood. And I remember the, the journey, and I remember every day that my son has accomplishments like he graduates from high school, or he graduates from college, or he gets married. I'm reminded um, Ron and Diane always come out, and they always support my son Patrick. But I know within their heart, it is breaking them from the inter, their inner being as they realize Tyler never experienced that. Tyler never had that joy. And they never have that joy of seeing their son do all of those things. What sustains parents to go on living when they've lost their one and only son and to keep on going? It's the grace of God that sustains them and that does a work in them. And they are wonderful examples of God's grace, and they are being used. Sometimes God takes your thorns that you want him to take away, and he says, no, I'm going to leave it there, but I'm going to give you grace to, to live in that. And then he says, I want to take your thorns and turn them around and use it in ministry. I want you to identify with others who are going through the same struggles. I want you to share your story of God's power in your weakness, 
not in your successes, but in your weaknesses, so that the power of God could be shown in your life. And that's why Paul ends this whole section with this idea of strength is found in weakness. You see, Paul had a lot of accomplishments. I mean, he wrote the New Testament, many of the books. He traveled and preached. Thousands of people came to Christ because of him. He had revelations from God that were absolutely amazing. But Paul would constantly say, I'm not going to boast about my strengths. I'm not going to boast about my successes. I'm not going to toot my own horn. And although he struggled with that at times, if you read his letters... He comes to the place where he says, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses. Notice he says, all the more gladly. It wasn't until he had a thorn and he asked God to take the thorn away and God said no, that he realized that he had greater power in the Lord because God said no to him, you must live with this and depend upon me. He realized he had greater power. God gives you power that way. He says, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, that is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, and in difficulties. For what? For when I am weak, then I am strong. And my friends, so many of us who go through difficult things and we have thorns that we deal with, Sometimes we don't realize that God is using them and it drives us away from God because we're listening to the wrong message instead of listening to the right message which says, I'm with you. I'll give you my grace and I'll make you perfect in your weakness to make you stronger in me. Release it to me. And that's where it comes down to a choice you have to make. You can listen to Satan, who is attaching messages to your torments, to your, to your thorns, and you can become a victim. Woe is me. God must not love me. God must not care about me. I must not, I'm, I, I'm just different from everybody else, and, and I'm not worthy of doing, of even living. And you can live with the mentality of a victim or... You can pray and receive the same sufficient grace that God gave to the Apostle Paul he can give to you today, right here, right now. You say, Lord, I need your grace. Amen. This morning as we conclude this service, worship team's going to come and we're going to sing probably one of my old favorite hymns, the It Is Well With My Soul. And as we sing this wonderful hymn, here's what I want you to do. For some of you, you've, got, you've been tormented by this thorn, and you've been hearing messages from Satan over and over again, and you've been living in defeat. You've been living in, not in victory, but in defeat. You've been listening to those things at a place where you are even wondering if you even want to follow God. Today, I want you to come and surrender your thorns. I want you to kneel before him. Nothing wrong with pleading like the Apostle Paul, take it away from me. 
But if God doesn't take it away from you, will you receive his grace which is sufficient that is made perfect in your weakness because of his power? That is available to you today. Amen? Stand with me, would you? Father, right now in the name of your son, Jesus, thank you for the grace that is sufficient grace. And I pray right now, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would go throughout all of the, the, the rows in this sanctuary this morning and that you would draw people to yourself, that we would kneel before you, Lord, and that we would release to you our torments, our, our struggles, our, our, our thorns, Lord, that we know that we have been dealing with all of our lives and that we would receive that grace today. Thank you so much. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's sing. If you want to pray, please just come as we sing together.